Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Chalk Talk podcast. Doug Farrar of Sports Illustrated here. And as always, every week, back with our good friend Greg Cosell of NFL Films and ESPN's NFL Matchup. And Greg, we've been going on these draft podcasts for about two months, going position by position, and we are at the end. We are... uh, We've gotten through it all for another year, and we're about to talk about cornerbacks and safeties, both free and strong, which means, in a general sense, you're almost rid of me. <laughs> That's probably the best news uh, you've heard all week. I'm free of you, so to speak. Yes, you are, in a strong yes. sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get started, of course, we want to let everyone know, uh, and, and thanks to our sponsors, WalterFootball.com, proud to be a sponsor of the Chalk Talk Podcast. For more draft information, including NFL mock drafts updated weekly, draft stock reports, fantasy football rankings, NFL picks, and much more, check out WalterFootball.com and Lithgow Consulting, LLC, a patron of the football arts. So, Greg, when we get to cornerbacks and safeties in this draft, before we get into specific guys, I want to ask you a couple of conceptual questions because that's what we do. When And and obviously this is going to differ for scheme, um, a guy like Kevin Johnson is asked to play completely differently than a guy like Trey Waynes. But in a general sense, when collegiate defensive backs, even the best ones, go to the NFL, what are their, both in their own technique and in the receivers they're facing, what are the major adjustment points in that transition in a general sense? Well, I think to play a corner in the NFL at a, at a higher level you have to be able to play man-to-man coverage. Yes. Now, there's different kinds of man coverage. There's press man, where you're right on the line of scrimmage, and there's different kinds of press man. There's press man where you use your hands immediately and you try to jam and reroute receivers. There's what we call mirror or shadow press man, where you don't necessarily put your hands on the receiver, but you sort of wait for him to declare his stem, and then you mirror him, but you're still playing press man. Mm-hmm. There's also off-coverage man, which presents a whole different set of techniques. But when all said and done, when you get to the NFL as a corner, you're going to have to play man coverage. And the other thing, Doug, that goes with that is there's zone concepts that for outside corners, and when I say outside corners, I mean the corners who really play outside the numbers, not slot guys. Mm-hmm. There's his own concept, such as cover three and quarters, in which they essentially become man-to-man based on route concepts. So, so by that you mean, like in quarters, you're, you're covering an area, but you're also covering a guy. Yeah, I'll give you a perfect example. I think it's cleaner in cover three. Mm-hmm. So let's use that as the example. Cover three is where there's only one high safety, a single high safety. The other safety is down somewhere in the box area or playing playing underneath zones, okay? So there's only one single high safety. So if you're a corner in cover three, even though the technique you begin with will likely be different than if the, the defense is, is a man-to-man. If that receiver you're covering runs outside route, stays on the outside of the field, mm-hmm. you're matching.
catching up to him. Right. So it becomes man to man. You know, as I said, the technique, the way it's taught might be different, but it's still man to man coverage. And so, if you watch the Seahawks, you're uh, fairly familiar with that. Right. So at the end of the day, if you're a corner in the NFL and you want to be a corner in the NFL, you will have to match up man-to-man on quality wideouts. So basically you're telling me that although I want to be a cornerback in the NFL because I cannot play man-to-man, I cannot be a quality cornerback. My guess is that's not likely to happen anytime soon. Yeah. Gosh darn it. Well, I guess I'll stick to podcasting. Um, The second question I want to ask as an overall concept – when you look at coverages 10 years ago and coverages now, and we're talking about the transition from Tampa 2 as the base defense of note into more aggressive ideas, more three wides, more four wides, you got double slot formations you didn't have 10 years ago, the addition and admission of certain spread offense concepts, how have coverage concepts changed in the last decade? And, and how are how are players who come into the league required to adapt to that? Well, boy, that's a hard question to answer because, you know, it's hard for me to think back to it. But I think what's – coverages obviously are tied into pressure concepts. Uh, you know, if you're just rushing four players and they're four down linemen, then you can do different things with coverage because you have seven in coverage. Uh because ultimately the NFL is a numbers game, Doug, so it depends on how many you want to rush. The more you rush, in teams we know now, the blitz is is a big part of the NFL, but there's also different kinds of pressures. You know, you can pressure with four, depending on how you do it. You pressure with five, you can pressure with six. We see zero coverage in the league. So all these pressures have an impact on how you play coverage. And the more people you bring, the more you have to play man-to-man. It's just pure numbers because there's five eligible receivers and you have to account for them. So uh, I think that it's not that necessarily coverages have changed. I think they've become a little more hybrid, a little more multiple, in that you can see zone and man concepts within the same coverage, maybe more than you did years ago. Which I think reflects the NFL overall, because fronts are now more hybrid. Teams don't right. really play 4-3 or 3-4 or anymore. Um, you've got, got you know Larry Fitzgerald and Brandon Marshall are 40-50% to 50% slot guys, and quarterbacks do different things and right. uh, you know that that to me as a guy who crunches a lot of tape as of course you do and, and we try and, and get a sense of not only what's going on right now but how it ties into an overall narrative it's uh, to me it's a more interesting time than ever because things are the lines are blurring and you have to sort of understand at a different level absolutely and, and i think the one thing uh when I put on college tape right after the NFL season, and I notice this every single year, is you don't see much blitz in college. Right. So you don't see a lot of these sort of combination coverages and hybrid coverages and more multiple looks defensively that you are required to, to learn and execute in the NFL. So it's really a different game. Uh, the college game and the NFL game, the gap between the two are, to me, widening every year, not closing. 
Well, it's something I noticed, and I'm not, and I, I always have to preface this by saying I don't think Amari Cooper is going to be a bust. I think he's going to be a very prolific, high-volume receiver. But when I watch his tape, I see him with his understanding of route concepts, which is elevated for an NCAA sense. I see him sort of picking and rubbing and beating a lot of guys whose technique just isn't advanced, and they don't know how to deal with a guy who actually knows how to run routes. As silly as that sounds, right. that happens. Right. And you always wonder with a guy like that, as opposed to a guy like Kevin White, who can just beat you in a bigger, faster, stronger sense, how that's going to work. And I think that's that, to me, reflects, to turn that on its ear, and we're talking about defensive backs, the biggest transition for these guys is, you know, unless you're playing for Alabama or a few other schools, you may not know how to pattern read. You know, you may not know how to establish an inside or outside boundary from the line of scrimmage. If all you're doing is just getting handsy and following a guy, which is a lot of what I see, there's going to be a lot of finishing work to do after you're drafted. Right. And then, see, to me, that's to be expected. I don't think any of this is a surprise, Doug, in all honesty. No. You know, and, and that's why, to me, everyone's a prospect, because there's much, much to learn. And it's it's so mental, and it requires so much discipline that it, it it's just a different game. Yeah, and it's not to denigrate these kids at all. The NFL is just flat-out hard. Um, to start with uh, cornerbacks, I think the consensus number one guy is probably Trey Waynes from Michigan State. You may have a different number one guy. I do have a different number one guy. We'll get to him in a minute. But when I watch Waynes, six foot, 186, very aggressive, very fast, good in transition. But the thing I like the best about him is his mindset, which is you give me your ex-ISO receiver and put him on an island and put me in an island and I will not back down. And, you know, that sounds bluster and bravado, but when, and we, we have talked about the term playing personality. I really like Trey Waynes' playing personality. He's bold, but he's not bold to the point where he just gets out of his own skin, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I would agree with what you said, so we probably don't need to spend a lot of time because Michigan State put him on an island playing man-to-man quite a bit where it was basically cover zero man. He did not have help. And you hit on a great point. There's a mental element that goes with that, and I thought he really showed the mental toughness and clearly the physical skill set to compete and perform that function. Uh, I think he's a smoother athlete and an overall better prospect than his former teammate, Darquois Denard, who came out of Michigan State last season, and a lot of people had, I think, is either the first or second best corner in the draft. I think Trey Waynes is a, is a better prospect. In some respects, he reminds me of Stephon Gilmore when he came out of South Carolina uh, with the 10th pick in the 2012 draft. I, I think Gilmore was a little more physical. I think Waynes is a little twitchier. Yeah, well, 186. I mean, you're not. <laughs> right. Not, not no, but Waynes is not. Waynes plays aggressively and physically. He's yes. not soft. He's just 186. Right. And I, I think there's a. You said aggressive and physical. I think there's an important delineation there, and sometimes people um, kind of clump the two together. With his handsiness, how much is he going to have to adapt in the NFL? I kind of think a lot. A lot of guys do. It, it's. I'm actually watching a corner now. I was before uh, we started this. And so many corners, because college is different, use their hands, you know, 10, 12, 15 yards down the field. So I think for uh, college corners transitioning, that's something that they're going to have to be taught and learn. 
My number one cornerback, and this is not a homer pick, uh, it's a guy I truly believe is the best potential cornerback in this draft class, is Marcus Peters from Washington. Um, 6-0-197, has the right size, right aggressiveness, really good in transition, very smooth. <clears throat> I guess the, the questions I have about him regard his ability to transition from outside to inside as far as slants and things like that, but what are your overall thoughts on Peters? Well, I thought he was the best press man corner in this draft. He's a an aggressive, in-your-face press man corner. Uh, and I think that he's physically and athletically what teams look for in a corner. Now, I, I watched a number of teams with him, and I don't know if you saw this, but I watched every snap when he played against Jalen Strong for Arizona State, and Jalen Strong could not get off, off his jam. Jalen Strong was removed from the game by Marcus Peters, but Arizona State finally moved Strong inside so he'd get a few catches. But... If you want, if you're playing a high percentage of press man and that's the defense that you want to play, I think this guy, as we speak today, has the best attributes to fulfill that function. Outside of the off-field stuff, which, you know, we don't really go into on these, what are the, what are the things he's going to need to work on? the next level. He's nowhere near as comfortable or as good playing off coverage at this point in time. Not because he's not capable of it, I just don't think he's very comfortable. And obviously you don't just do one thing in the NFL so he's going to have to learn how to do that. and, And the reason I don't think he's as comfortable is because he did not with the same quick twitch and aggressiveness in, in off coverage, whether it be man or zone concepts like cover three, as he did when he played press man. Yeah, when a, when a guy is cautious, that's a good point. When a guy becomes cautious, you can always tell. Like, uh, right, not exactly. quite there yet on this. Well, speaking of off coverage, and to, to take a completely uh, different skill set into uh, this equation, is Kevin Johnson from Wake Forest, who, and you know, we, we talked about this yesterday when we were, we were just discussing this podcast about how scheme-specific defensive back positions can be, and we're going to talk about how that really uh, applies to safeties. But in Kevin Johnson's case, I mean, I don't, you know, maybe he can play press man. Maybe he can be taught to do it, but he played a lot of off-coverage in Wake Forest's scheme, and I think this makes him innately valuable and innately unique in this draft class because I see a guy who can play zone, who can play bail, who can transition from receiver to receiver, who has a better understanding of certain switch and cross concepts than maybe a lot of these press guys do. And I, you know, I, I had a podcast with Matt Bowen, uh, former NFL safety and current writer for Bleacher Report yesterday, and I kind of threw this uh, theory out there that if you're a guy like Bill Belichick, and you've created a lot of the trends, and then you rebel against them because you want to stay on top of personnel. You just lost Rebus. You just lost Browner. Maybe you want a guy like Kevin Johnson because you, as the Patriots, played more man coverage than any other team last year, so you saw more man beaters, which just, I mean, that, that just makes sense, right? So it, maybe you'd take a guy like Kevin Johnson and say, okay, we maybe now we want to go to more of a zone thing. And I think of all the cornerbacks I've watched in this draft class, I think he's the best at that. Well, he's certainly capable athletically and movement-wise of developing into a quality press man corner. Right now, that's not the strength of his game. Right. He's really, really good at 
understanding route concepts, uh, understanding you know pattern reading, which is rare for college corners. He's he's really good at. He may be the best corner in this draft at that. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that he he's clearly more comfortable. Unlike Peters, he's the reverse of Peters. Exactly. Kevin Johnson is more comfortable in off coverage than he is in, in press man at this point. Um, you know, I saw when he played cover three, which they played a lot of. Cover, you know, all these zone concepts require um, route pattern reading, understanding of, of route concepts based on formation. I thought he had a really good feel in cover three for how to play both the number one receiver on the outside and the number two receiver in the slot, which is because you kind of have to play the midpoint of both those guys in cover three if they both run vertically. And I thought he just had a very good feel for that. And the point that both Matt and I brought up, what the the switch release concepts that the Broncos ran on the Seahawks, um, a lot of the Eagles crossers that they've used over the last few years, you have to know when things change and you have to transition quickly and you can't be caught behind. And right. I've seen a lot of press corners in this draft class. I mean, and it's not, um, again, it's not so much that they can't do it. It's just that they haven't been taught. Before we move on, um, we talk about pattern reading, pattern matching, whatever people want to call it. How do you define that? Well, the first thing you have to understand is based on on formation or our favorite term you know uh receiver distribution uh, and a lot you know in location you have to understand and this is where the studying part comes in and this is what the nfl is all about especially if you're going to play a lot of zone is you have to understand what route combinations come off specific formations and then you start there and then when the routes develop, you know that, hey, if, it, if the slot's on your side, you know that if number one, the outside guy, does a certain thing with his vertical stem, that that means number two, the slot guy's going to do something. And so you have a sense of reading their patterns as they're developing. You're not waiting for them to be defined. You have a sense based on formation and receiver distribution and location what the routes are going to be. And I remember having this conversation many times with Solomon Wilcox, who played with Cincinnati when Dick LeBeau really started doing the the zone blitz cover three concepts a a great deal. And and playing cover three was all built on pattern reading. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not often that you say at any any position a guy with ten starts in college might – two or three years down the road, might wind up being the best at his position in this draft class. And I know you know who I'm talking about is Jalen Collins from LSU. Um, 6-1-2-0-3, and it, I don't think it was so much that he couldn't get in. It's just, you know, they have so much talent at so many positions. They rotate guys around. Uh, 90 tackles, three tackles for loss, three interceptions, 19 passes defense. I just, I'll give you a few of my scouting notes. Um Excellent feel for what's going on in front of him. Will break off coverage to help underneath and isn't generally fooled by crossing routes. Outstanding press corner who will redirect receivers to the boundary and has the speed to keep up downfield. Passionate tackler and run support. Good blitzer who understands angles. Short area quickness to jump routes and dive into, dives in to make plays. Times jump balls very well and always has an excellent chance of winning vertical battles. Ran a 4.4840 and posted the top three cone time at the combine, despite a foot injury that required surgery. Um, you know, obviously with 10 starts, he's going to need some diagnostic help. 
uh, he reminded me a bit of Prince and Mukamara, and I, w- you know, especially for ten starts, I was just really impressed with Jalen Collins. Well, it's funny because I think he's better than that, but but uh, Collins to me, and here's what made no sense to me: he had ten starts, and, and I don't know the reason for that. But when they played Alabama, he played the whole game, and they matched him up to Amari Cooper. Yes, they did. And it was a great matchup. Now, people, you know, it's funny. Some people tweeted me saying, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about because they saw Cooper catch a 25-yard touchdown on a play in which uh, Collins was beaten. But if you watch the 70 snaps in the game, it was a really good matchup between two guys who looked like two two top NFL prospects. Yep. And that's why you got to watch, you know, every play because highlights, good or bad, can totally skew your worldview of players. And uh, so that's what I don't understand. If they, if they matched him up against Amari Cooper, then they obviously thought he was their best corner. So why he had 10 starts, I guess we would need less miles to tell us that. Um, what really impressed me about Collins, and I actually talked to Ike Taylor about this, was how comfortable he was. Mm-hmm. He never panicked. Yes. He was so composed and poised. Because every corner, there at times there's a moment where you feel like, hey, I might get beat. You know, you get that, oh, you know what moment. Yep. Collins never panicked. You know, and, and that's that's why I wanted to talk to Ike about it because obviously I've never been in that position, but Ike said that happens a lot and there's a lot of times where you, you know, you say, Oh, oh, you know what? And Collins was so comfortable. I also thought for a guy without a ton of experience he was very natural with some of the subtleties. He used his hands well. He used his hands well in coordination with his feet, so he didn't get his hips and his feet out of whack when he tried to use his hands to jam and redirect. I thought he was a very natural, very comfortable press corner. I think that comfort goes back to what we were talking about uh, with Trey Waynes. Is it, there's a certain aspect of playing personality, and we don't talk about intangibles and you know grit and moxie and all that crap. But there is an element to your confidence that hits the field, and you just you know you belong, and you play accordingly, and it's just at a different level. Yes, and that's why you mentioned Mukamara. I, I don't think he's anywhere near as smooth and as comfortable. Even when he came out of Nebraska, and that's ultimately what we're comparing. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he was this guy. Okay. Well, who would you compare him to? Um, you know, comparisons are fascinating because comparisons are, to me, need to be based on guys, you know, maybe when they come out or maybe in their first year in the NFL, not what they become, because Collins has not played in the NFL, correct? Correct. I think that when I saw him, and I watched a lot of Collins, because you had to watch a lot of Collins, you know, because there were games he didn't play a lot of games, you know, a lot of snaps. I thought that he kind of reminded me of Richard Sherman. Now, people are going to go, oh my God, you're a moron, and I've heard that before, obviously. But, you know, <laughs> Richard Sherman was, was a fifth-round pick, and he was the 154th player chosen. Yeah. So... Everybody can say what they want, but when Richard Sherman came out of Stanford, no one thought he was Richard Sherman. Well, I can tell you exactly what he was when he came out, because I was there for his first rookie camp. I was there for his first training camp, and I remember I was, like, turning to people around me, Seattle beat writers, going, who's the tall guy wearing 25 who's just beating the crap out of everybody? And I remember his first few games before he was a starter, there were times when he was just completely lost, but he never lost his confidence. And... 
I, so I, I can I can see how that comparison would be appropriate. I mean, and we're talking about a guy who has developed into something else and elevated his game. I don't think it's impossible that Collins could develop because he has all the attributes. I mean, yeah, and and the thing that stands out to me as you as we've watched Sherman develop into you know arguably the best or second or third best, whatever your point of view is in the NFL, is he's always comfortable. You never see Richard Sherman panic. Right. And Collins strike. Even when he is beaten, you know, if Julio Jones gets him or T.Y. Hilton gets him or whoever gets him, it's like he'll, you know, he'll do a flash pot temper thing because he's him, and then he moves on. Right. Right. And Collins was that kind of player. So, again, I'm not suggesting in five years we're we're absolutely going to say Jalen Collins is a top three corner in the NFL. There's ten things that are going to go into that. But I'm just talking about the style of player and the size, good size. Yep. Uh, Byron Jones from Connecticut. And uh, it's funny, I was watching uh, Caught in the Draft, that NFL film show that I, I know you know about it. Uh, really enjoy it. And they had 95 on uh, last night. And they were talking about Mike Mamula and that whole thing. And I know you know <laughs> the, the first workout wonder, so to speak. Well, I know Mike very well, yeah. so I know the whole story. Um, and, of course, some people who haven't seen Byron Jones are wondering if he's that guy because he set a world record for the broad jump at the Combine. Not a football yep. record, not a Combine record, but a flipping world, like, post-Olympic record. Had the best times of any position or best performances uh, at the vertical jump, three-cone drill, short shuttle. Uh, did not do the 40 at hit at the combine. Ran a 4.43 at his pro day. Uh, missed a lot of last year with a shoulder injury. So obviously the you know 6.1199. So height, speed, weight, speed, you know whatever. Check, check, check. When I watched him on tape, I saw. The both the pluses and the minuses of that athleticism. I think he has, he is really he's a, a smooth, quick mover. He has potentially insane recovery speed. But I also saw times where he overextended on plays and was almost too athletic for his own good. And what I mean by that is he he wasn't always in control of his athleticism. What were your thoughts on him? Yeah, and I like him as a prospect a lot. I thought he was another guy like Kevin Johnson. I thought he played zone pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought he was comfortable in off coverage. And, and one of the things I thought he did well in off coverage was that he stayed in his back pedal as long as possible without opening up. Yes. And what that does is it does not give the receiver a clear indicator of how to run his route off your leverage. And I thought he was very, very good at that. Probably because he's confident in his ability to turn and run, because he can run. Uh-huh. Um, I think that he's definitely a, a good prospect. I think he needs work playing man-to-man and press-man. But I think that could be coached and refined. Now, anytime you say that, you know you don't know how it's going to play out, but it can be coached. Uh, you know, the one thing I will say, because people have asked me, and you didn't ask me, but I, people have. If you know, do you see that those kinds of traits, you know, the broad jump or the vertical, whatever those numbers are, when you watch them, and and you know, ultimately you don't. I mean, you don't watch Byron Jones and say, "Wow, he's way, way more athletic than Trey Waynes or Jalen Collins." I mean, you know, he's he's athletic. He, he looks like other athletic corners, but you don't say, "Oh my God, I've never seen anything like this." Well, where I think it showed up to me is in his short area speed, in his transition speed. He just, he looked 
a hair quicker when he had to move in a hurry than some right. guys. And I think that's where it shows up. I didn't think, boy, he's he's going to have to jump 12 feet and 2 inches, and it's a good thing he can because he's a broad jumper or anything like that. But you can't right. see the athleticism in a field sense in his case, and with some guys you just can't. Yeah, and, and you and I both know that football talent is different from athletic talent. Oh, yeah. You know, so, so, you know, is he going to be in situations in the NFL where he's going to have to, you know, leap to high point passes that are thrown to receivers? Absolutely. So, you now is he going to be able to do that while he's running or when it's not a controlled environment like he is at the combine? Those are the things, you know, that's why when you talk to scouts, coaches all the time, they talk about football skills, you know, not just athletic skills, because those can be two different things. Yep. Speaking of athleticism, Ronald Darby from Florida State uh, ran a four three eight forty at the combine. A, another guy who checks all the boxes, really quick on the field. My one question about him is: there, I mean, is there kind of a you must be this tall to ride this ride? If he's going to be an outside cornerback at five ten, actually, it's it, yeah five ten and a half inches. Is that? I mean, we have the, the you know Brent Grimes, but Brent Grimes is kind of an outlier at this point. Is there a disadvantage in today's NFL of being that shorter guy? And if so, does Darby have the attributes to sort of overcome that? You know, theoretically, yes. I mean, obviously, receivers are getting taller. Now, no corner matches up to the Calvin Johnsons of the world, but, but obviously, if the receivers are six one and a half, six two, yes, there's an advantage to being six feet, let's say, or six one. Um, I don't think he's too short, though, to play outside. I think that's where he'll start. Um, you know, I think he's a guy that that's also a, a, has a ton of press man experience because that's how Florida State played, and he is fast and explosive. Except when he played Philip Dorsett, when he looked a little slower. Well, most pretty people, much it. most people do. Most people do. <laughs> uh, but I think you would say, if you were sort of summing up Darby, that he's a smaller, fast man-to-man corner with very good transition ability to open his hips and run. I mean, he's a quick twitch kid. You know, I think. He, he checks, as you said, a lot of the boxes when you're talking about playing man-to-man coverage on the perimeter. Yeah. Um, He's a twitchier athlete than his teammate, P.J. Williams. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about Williams. Uh, what are your thoughts about him? Because obviously everyone's talking about the off-field stuff now. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately he's got the athletic traits and length to be a, a very good uh, man-to-man corner. Um, he's a physical kid, uh, so I would say the traits are there. I didn't think he played to those traits as much as I would have liked to see on film. I thought there were times he got a little lost. Uh, you know, whether you want to call that field awareness, spatial awareness, you know, everybody has different terms. Um but he certainly has traits. Uh, but there were times I thought there was a lot of wasted motion. So I thought the traits were were better than the overall play. Yeah. A um, couple of guys I want to talk about, and then I'm going to ask you to open up in you know, your book on the, the quote-unquote lower-level guys who impressed you. Uh, two guys that I wanted to get your take on, Quentin Rollins from Miami of Ohio. I mean, basically one year of experience, and yep. boy, <laughs> give, him, give him a couple more years, and this kid could be special. 5'11", 195, MAC Defensive Player of the Year, and I think there's a lot to like here. 
Well, so, but and it, what is the uh, quarter of an inch taller than Darby? So are there questions about his ability to play on the outside? Uh, I don't know. That's, I mean, that's the thing. Is, right. Like so, I said, is there, a, is there a you must be this tall to ride this ride? Right. I mean, at some point, you know, at some point I think you have to be careful because sometimes I read people and I'll see to that. I'll, you know, and I'm not saying this to the case with Darby and Rollins, but I'm just using them as an example here. Sometimes I'll read about a guy too short to play and then another guy they say perfect size and the difference is a quarter of an inch. And I'm wondering, really? That's the way you see it? You know, so, uh, you know, I think Rollins down the road with a lot more experience, can develop into an outside-the-numbers, man-to-man corner in the NFL. I think it will take some time. Um, You know, I think that at this point, he's a better press player than he's an off-coverage player because I I think off-coverage requires a little more experience. I think it's theoretically a little easier for a coach to say, you got him, and line up in his face and play and use your, your athletic traits, and he has some twitch and explosive traits to him. Yeah. Uh, speaking of height, I'm going to go with, and this is kind of my favorite sleeper guy, and the more I watch him, the more I like him. Senquez Golson uh, led the SEC in interceptions of 10 last year, had six total the three years before, so not a total one-year wonder. Uh, cornerback from Old Miss, 5'9", 176, and I'll just I'll throw a few of my uh, notes here. Can play off coverage very well, is pretty good in run support especially determined when he's asked to beat blocks, sticks and stays with receivers through their routes, and he's been tested by some pretty route-savvy opponents. Has developed excellent ball skills at his best, will flip his hips quickly and turn and run with speed receivers. Has an obvious extra gear in open space, has developed the ability to bail in coverage, keeping his eye on the quarterback and still following his man downfield. The obvious debit is size, but as we know, slot cornerbacks are starters in today's NFL. And right. With Golson, I mean, and it's it's too simplistic to say, well, you're 5'9", so you're just a slot corner, because slot corners have their own attributes that are required. But what are your thoughts about, and be nice, because this is one of my favorite guys. Well, I like Golson. He played, hardly played uh, press in college, played high, high percentage off coverage. Uh there were snaps in which he did, and when he did play it, you saw that he was physically capable. He's got quick feet, he's got smooth hips, and he's got speed. So you you felt like, hey, if he had to play press. Now, I'm one of those guys, I wouldn't automatically disqualify him from playing outside, you know, just because we've seen guys do that. I mean, I think people look at Jason Barrett and think that he's going to be an outside corner in the NFL, and he's 5'9". Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's team-specific and and how that team views a player. Now, it's easy to say he's a slot guy, and I think he likely is, and in some ways he reminded me of Nikel Roby of of the Buffalo Bills, a smaller but explosive slot corner who can play man, who can blitz, and can play physically versus the run. I mean, I think Golson reminded me of that guy, but I, I think he might be able to line up on the outside once in a while. Uh, who are your other the, the guys who stood out to you on tape? Well, then you get to guys who are not quite as you know sudden, quick twitch, and then you have to decide. And different teams will feel differently about these guys because of that, because they don't have the, the exact traits that you're looking for. Um, 
but there's two guys that I really liked uh, because of their competitiveness, their toughness, and and they're they're good sized guys. And that's uh, Grant from Ohio State. Uh, is it Doran Grant from Ohio State? Uh, and yes. Eric Rowe from Utah, who I know some people are looking at at safety. Well, he uh, I think for three years, yeah. Yeah, I think because of his size, he may get a shot at corner first because guys who are 6'1", 205 with press man experience, you know, corner is a more premium position. But, uh, but those are two guys I really like. But again, as I said, they're not going to be first-round picks, although I guess if Rowe is seen as a safety, maybe he sneaks late into the first round. But uh, I like those guys. Yeah. Um, well, let's move to safeties, and you said something uh, to me yesterday about safety being, uh, and I, I don't know, remember if you said the most scheme-specific position overall or just this year. No, it's, it's in the NFL, safety is the most scheme-specific position in the league. Please elaborate, Mr. Cosell. Because there's so many responsibilities for safeties and what they're needed to do that, think of it this way. But let's go through what a safety is some is required to do. Safeties need to be able to play on the back end, which means they need to be able to play single high or and they need to be able to play out of a two shell where there's two deep safeties. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to be able to play in the box. They need to be able to play downhill from the deep end to get into the box to fill, which is different than lining up in the box. Uh, they need to be able to play man-to-man. They need, obviously, to be able to tackle. And that's a very overlooked element of playing in the NFL, the ability to tackle. And there's different ways to tackle. It's obviously easier to tackle, let's say, if you're already in the box and the gap's right in front of you. It's tougher to tackle if you've got to come downhill on balance, set your feet, and then try to strike a runner who's probably could be a better athlete than you are. So there's many things that safeties are required to do. Not everybody can do all those things. There's very few who can do all of those things. So what are you going to ask your safety to do? You know, if you want your safety to play on the back end, and that's a major part of your defense, that both of your safeties need to be back end players, some guys can't do that very well. And, you know, you have to be careful about that. You know, Cam Chancellor is not a cover two safety. No. You know, so if Cam Chancellor happened to have been drafted by a team for whatever reason that thought, you know, hey, we play cover two and we're going to take a flyer on this guy in the sixth round, Cam Chancellor wouldn't be playing for that team right now. And we might not even know who he is. Yeah. Well, he's an interesting example because I remember when he came out, some people thought he should have been a linebacker. And then Correct. over the years, well, he has turned himself, in with the help of his coaches, he has turned himself into an excellent cover safety, but that is not what he was when he came out. No, and and when all said and done, on ninety percent of the snaps, he's essentially a glorified linebacker. Now, is he a better coverage guy now than he was three years ago? Yes, he is. But you know, with few exceptions, you're not going to line him up at single high. You know, that's not what he is. Well, it's not what he does best either. You're not going to hang him up free because what he's going to do is demolish your tight end at five yards. And right, so know, Earl Thomas is going to hang all over him and try a lot, but Cam's just bigger. <laughs> right. So, 
safeties are very scheme specific in how you're going to ask them to be used. And that's why, you know, everybody just says, you know, if a team needs a safety, draft this guy. Well, it might not fit what the D coordinator wants to do. You know, we're, we're going to see that here in Philly uh, with the 20th pick in the draft. And, of course, I have no idea what the Eagles are going to do. But everybody believes they need a safety, which is likely. But yeah. the way they play defense, they want their safeties to be interchangeable. And that likely means that Landon Collins will not be drafted in Philly. And for people who just watch a little bit of college football and know about the big-name NFL you know, college players, they're going to go, oh, my God, they blew it. They should have drafted Landon Collins. But he doesn't fit what the Eagles do. Well, if you take Landon Collins and you want two interchangeable safeties, you're going to get beaten deep a lot. Because right. you have two guys who can't do that. So yeah. Right. Let's talk about Collins. Um, I know he's not your number one guy. I'm not convinced he's my number one guy. But I mean, just the, the six foot two twenty eight. He has four four slash four five speed. But to me, he's uh, more, yeah, yeah. He, I, I mean, don't believe he plays that way on film. Right. But that's okay. Well, I, I'm I'm setting something up here. Right. So roll with me. Six foot two twenty eight, four four slash four five speed. So, in a vacuum, well, he played for Alabama. Nick Saban has taught him this. Nick Saban has taught him that. But when you watch a guy on tape, speaking to your point, he is a closer. He's a downhill finisher. He is not, in a general and larger sense, a cover guy. And to me, he's not a deep third player. So, I mean, is he... It, can he transcend that sort of box label, or is that just kind of who he's going to be? Well... You know, it's funny because on film this past year, he looked a little bottom heavy, a little heavy foot uh, at the combine. He looked the same. And, and I talked to some people about it who were kind of surprised that he looked that way at the combine. Uh, so I, I think the, the strength and the defining part of his game is that he plays downhill and he lines up closer to the line of scrimmage. That's what his game is. He's an aggressive attacking player. Um, you know, can he can he start high and come down and play high to low? Yes. But if you expect him, in my view, to cover as a back-end player, I don't think that's what he can do right now. Now, again, maybe down the road he can do that. Uh, there were times, in all honesty, watching Collins this past year on film, and I watched a lot of games, Doug, because I, you know he was one of those guys I kept watching and saying to myself, see, maybe I'm missing something. Mm-hmm. So I watched a lot of games. Uh, and the more I watched, I almost started to feel like he'd be better off transitioning the way Thomas Davis did as a linebacker. Well, he played, some, I, he played some will in certain packages. Yeah. Well, he played, actually, and this might tell you, it's very interesting you mentioned that, and I'm really glad you did, because when they went to uh, their dime, he played what they call the money position, which is, is a linebacker. Uh-huh. So uh, does that ultimately tell you what Nick Saban thought of his coverage abilities? Probably. So, uh, you know, I... It, He's not. I, I personally, I don't think he's as good a safety prospect as Dion Buchanan was coming out of Washington State last year. Oh well, let's. When I watched Buchanan, my first thoughts were two: uh, Jesus Christ, this guy is fast, and somebody had better put a GPS on him because half the time he doesn't know where the hell he's going. Now, what Todd Bowles did was put a GPS on him, and he became this really dynamic guy. Right. B- Buchanan to me is a completely different player than Collins. We're talking about 
you know, he's, if we're talking about speeds as in a stick shift, Collins is third gear. Buchanan is like fourth and a half. That's a totally different guy. Right, but I think a lot of people, and not that we want to spend 20 minutes on Collins, but I think a lot of people see Collins and Buchanan from a prospect standpoint as similar guys. Because I heard last year from a ton of people that Buchanan's a box safety. That's ultimately what they're saying about Collins. He's a box safety. So I think putting aside the subtleties when you go deeper into the analysis, I think people see them the same way. But I don't think he's close to the level of prospect that Buchanan was. Well, if Buchanan's a box safety, you need a bigger damn box. Um, right. I think, listening to the Ross Tucker podcast, the guy we both like the best at safety, regardless of free or strong, is the same guy, and that's Demarius Randall from Arizona State. And I'm going to start deferring to you here because... I have my own notes from what I've seen, but uh, you have the all 22 and I don't. So with this, I'm going to pull back and not do my notes and just let you go. So why do you like Demarius Randall the most? Because I think you can fulfill uh, as many um, of the responsibilities that we talked about with safeties. I think, to me, he's the best back-end safety in this draft. I think he's got a box mentality as well. Uh, You'd like him to be a little heavier. I think he's about 198, but he plays with a very aggressive mentality. He's tough and competitive. You have to decide if you think his size limitations may impact his effectiveness doing that, but there's no problem with his mentality. Plus, he has corner skills. You can line him up over the slot, and he could play uh, in the slot as well. So ultimately, I think he may check more boxes than any safety in this draft. And if you're looking for an interchangeable safety, a guy that can do all the things you ideally would like a safety to do, Demarius Randall is that guy. Um, I remember when I watched uh, Brock Vereen come out of Minnesota last year, and I, I liked a lot about him. I think size was an issue, and I thought to myself, I don't know what the Bears are going to do, but I see him as kind of a potential slot corner who can play hybrid in some maybe nickel or dime packages. Uh, obviously very interested to see what Vic Fangio does with him, but when I saw Deron Smith from Fresno State, 5'10", 200, I thought based on you know the the two-thirds of the field I could see that he had a lot. I mean, 304 tackles, 15 picks, two for touchdowns, 25 passes defensed. But to me, he covers enough ground to be a deep third defender. I agree. And anticipation skills and leaping ability. Well, I, okay, I lied. I'm going to do my scouting report here. Anticipation skills and leaping ability will mitigate his height issues to some degree, but there's no substitute for height when you're trying to avoid getting torched by Jordy Nelson on a deep post. And that's kind of where I lay with him is I don't really know what he – I know what he is. I don't know what he can be. Yeah, and now I think he's got the traits of an interchangeable safety as well. Uh, he, he played in the box really effectively. He played downhill well. Um, and I thought he did have a, the movement and transition to play on the back end. Now, I don't think he has quite the movement Randall does. Uh you know, but I think he's capable of playing on the back end and being absolutely fine. He would not be a liability. So I think he's another guy that checks a good number of the boxes, and uh, and he's very aggressive by nature. Now, you could argue he needs to be taught better eye discipline, but 
you know, that's a fine line there between guys being aggressive and then guys being burned by run action or play action. But but I think Darren Smith is a is a very good safety as well, a very good prospect, and uh, he's very competitive. So to the question of his height, what does that exclude him from? In a, in a hypothetical height? sense. If you got a five, if you got a five ten safety, where is that a problem? I mean, I, I guess to me, it's not a huge problem. You know, it's uh, I don't see that as big a problem. Maybe as others do. Um, I don't know how tall is Earl Thomas, and I'm not saying he's Earl Thomas, but how tall is Earl Thomas? Uh, I think Earl's about six foot. But I, I don't I don't see it as a big problem with Darren Smith. Um, I'll look while we're talking. Um, well. While I'm looking that up, we're, uh, it took till the last draft podcast to get the name of the 2015 draft. And I know you know who I'm talking about. Jaquiski Tart. That just feels good to say. From Samford. Who's a, who's a fascinating prospect. Let me tell you, this kid, um, you know, Samford, who the hell is this guy? But, you know, they did play Auburn. He didn't look horrible. And he, I was talking to Matt Bowen in that podcast yesterday. And Matt said, we, you know, they lined up everyone. I saw this kid. I'm like, who the hell is this? And he's really, he's gotten a lot of traction as a result. I, I like him. Um, you know, he's a big guy. Oh, let's see. Earl, uh, 5'10". Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, Earl is 5'10". Yeah, I thought Earl. I didn't think he was six feet. So, again, I'm not saying Darren Smith's Earl Thomas, but I, I don't think that that's a liability. Yeah. So, uh, Tart, on the other hand, 6'1", 221. He's got the size. He's got the field speed. He's got a basketball background that gives him the ability to cover and leap with bigger tight ends, and you see it on the field. He's a natural hitter. Um, from a raw skill perspective, I wouldn't put too many guys above him. No, and he's, he's kind of a stalker. You yeah. know, he's got kind of stalking movement that Dion, Dion Buchanan has. I mean, and, you know, I think Tart's fascinating because he's 220. He obviously went to Stanford, so obviously the, the facilities, I'm sure, are not the same as if he was at an SEC school or, you know, a big school. Um, he's got the body type where you almost feel like he could add 10 pounds or – could he lose five, eight pounds and become really a much, much quicker athlete who it can then check more of the back end safety boxes? So he could, he's really, to me, in terms of intriguing and fascinating, maybe the most intriguing and fascinating safety in this class. And then you have players who are fascinating for other and lesser reasons. And I'm talking about Gerard Holloman from Louisville. Uh, tied an NCAA record last year with 14 interceptions, which was a major surprise that he picked off exactly zero the year before. He essentially replaced Calvin Pryor. Um, I'm not not sure about one-year wonder, but I'll tell you what really bothers me, and you and I have discussed him specifically, and we may have used, well, I may have used words that we're not going to use on the podcast, but let's just say, Mr. Cosell, that Gerard Holloman has an aversion to contact. Yeah, and then it shows up, and it, it's very problematic. Now, yes. you know he, he can play the back end, and he's got a good feel for, for the ball in the air, but it's, you know, now you have to decide as a team how you feel about the fact that this guy really would rather, and I'm not saying this to be funny, but you almost feel like he'd rather be playing flag football. He just clearly does not want to tackle or get involved in the physical part of the game. Well, let me be specific about how that manifests itself. Um, he will not wrap up. He does shoulder pops. I, I was talking to one of the guys from Pro Football Focus about this. He by far led the entire NCAA in blown tackles last year. 
based on their FBS charting. So right. it's not just, oh, he looks like a wuss. We're not saying that. He doesn't tackle, and that's a big problem. No. So, I mean, for me, that's a problem. You know, again, you know, I, I guess if you are playing him on almost every snap at single high, uh, you know, maybe you're okay. I don't know, but... What the tape shows is a guy that does not really want to get involved in the physical part of the game. So you have to decide as an organization how you feel about that. Yeah. One guy I really liked, and I haven't heard a lot of, uh, not a lot of traction on his name, but when I watched Anthony Harris from Virginia, uh, led the nation in interceptions in 2013, picked a little drop from 8 to 2, and that was as much about how he was targeted as anything else. But he had a career high of 108 tackles last year, 10 passes defensed. I like the way he closes. Um, I like the way he trails. He's 6'1", 183. Um, I don't think he's a first-round guy. Um, he's not, you know, Tackling is a bit weird, but he played through a shoulder injury that prevented him from working out at the Combine. I like him as, I mean, t- is Anthony Harris an interchangeable guy in your mind, Greg? I liked him on film. The problem I have, Doug, is how many starting safeties in the NFL weigh 183 pounds? Yeah. And I think his, in college, he was an interchangeable safety. You have to be concerned about his bulk, his physicality, his tackling. Not that he was unwilling to do this. He, he was willing, but he, he's not very physical because he's small. So how do, you know, is, you know, teams that play 3-4, for instance, tend to play more single high than two shell. Can he be a single high safety in a 3-4 defense? Mm, probably, I think so. I mean, and if, so if you believe that, uh, then you know he might be a guy you look at because I think ultimately he's a good player, um, and I think you know we talk about playing personality. I think he's one of those guys, but you have to decide if you're comfortable with the fact that he's 183 and he's you know he's 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 really built like a corner more than a safety. He's not a corner in the NFL. You know, you certainly you know. Can he can he line up in the box or on the edge of the box once in a while, depending on various things, probably. But for the most part, it, it, again, you know what teams do? They look at track record. You know, what's the percentage of a guy who's 183 pounds being a quality starting NFL safety? Sure. And I'm not saying he can't be, but you just have to think of it like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, who thought that a 5'10 guy was going to be the best safety in the NFL? Right, right, but you know he's also two hundred and five, whatever. You know, but uh, um, you know, overall, I didn't necessarily think that he showed the kind of lateral range and change of direction that I would want in a single high. But it wasn't below average. It wasn't as oh my god, he can't move. I I just you know, if he was going to play that position, you know, do that eighty percent of the snaps in a game, I'm not sure. One guy who I think, his story is very interesting, James Sample, the other Louisville safety we're going to talk yep. about. Um, he got lost last year in the Holloman hype. Uh, actually was started at Washington, shoulder injury cut his season short. He then spent a season at American River College, which I didn't know existed. He went to high school with Shaq Thompson. Yes, he did. Best buddies. And the my conclusion was, 
you give this guy a more developed resume, he's going to be a lot higher on a lot of lists. What are your thoughts about him? I would agree. Uh, the only thing you really didn't see when you watched him was man-to-man coverage on tight ends. Uh-huh. I think he has the physical traits to do it, but you didn't see it, so it's a projection. But I, I ultimately... When I was finished watching him, Doug, I thought he was one of the better safety prospects in this draft because of his multiple skill set and his physicality. I mean, I think he's an under the, you know, I shouldn't say under the radar. That's a media term. You know, I have no idea how teams <laughs> feel about him, you know, but I think he's a guy that has a chance to be a pretty good pro now. Obviously, people are going to talk about his lack of experience. He only played one season at Louisville, so he he hasn't had you know a lot of games under his belt and a lot of repetitions. But I think he has a skill set that transitions well to the league as a guy who can do a number of things. Okay, and since I mentioned before, you're the guy with the All-22, so give me two free and two strong safeties that you like that we haven't mentioned. Uh, well, I, I like the uh, kid from Northwestern, Ibrahim Campbell. Yeah. That, in fact, I didn't see a whole bit of difference between Campbell and Collins, and I could make the argument that Campbell was actually a little better mover overall than, uh, than Collins. So I liked Ibrahim Campbell quite a bit. Um, let's see who else is on my list of safeties. Now you're starting to get into guys who, you know, just like with corners. Uh, I think Adrian Amos from Penn State is a fascinating prospect. He's six feet, a half inch, 218. He played over the slot in Penn State's defense when they went to sub packages. Uh-huh. Um, so he, he's got some some movement skills. So I, I think it's, you know, he becomes a very interesting player. And again, now he becomes a good player. I think he's a guy you have to decide what he is. I'll tell you what he isn't, a consistent tackler. Yeah, he's, you know, and a lot of safeties in college are not. Yeah. And that is a concern. I'm not saying it's not a concern, but uh, um, I, I think that the Stanford kid, Jordan Richards, will find a place in the league depending on team. Now, I could see a guy like Jordan Richards being a, a Bill Belichick kind of player because he's smart, aware, efficient. Obviously, he's not a great athlete. You know, I'm not suggesting he's a second-round pick, but I think that, you know, again, he's not an interchangeable safety. He's not your guy, but I think a guy like Bill Belichick, you know, could, could see given matchups where this kid plays, you know, 20 snaps and helps his team. Yep. Well, Mr. Cosell, we have come to the end of another series of positional draft podcasts. As always, for me, it's a great pleasure and learning experience. And uh, as for you, I'm sure for you, it's just a, a method. And for of, me, it's like root canal. It's a method of survival, exactly. Um, right, 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 right. Thanks, as always, my friend. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking some more after the draft. I'm sure we will, Mr. Farr. Thank you. <laughs>